Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Mr. Harry Stebbings, who is a legend in the podcasting space and is the founder of 20VC, The Fund. Harry, thank you so much for, for coming on to my podcast today. The Alfie Wattam Podcast. So I recently listened back to your first ever episode in preparation for this, when you were 18 with Guy uh, Kawasaki, the, the guy from Apple and uh, Canva and a few other projects he's been involved in. Um, most 18-year-olds, Harry, I don't know if you know this, but they're not like emailing multi-multi-millionaires and trying to get them on, on a podcast they're starting. So how, how did you get the confidence at 18 to like build something which is obviously turned into what it is today, but then, you know, called intro email people like that and ask them to be a guest on on your show yeah I think I think the most important thing is like actually no one is like better than anyone else and everyone is like themselves but you, everyone has a right to email anyone and I think it's one of the most incredible things about the internet which is you can email the CEO of Twitter and ask him for a coffee meeting he will probably not reply or he may reply if you make it good enough I remember emailing you know, multi-billion dollar founders for a coffee. And I'd say, I'm outside your office. I've got your favorite coffee. I saw it from your tweets. Can I borrow five minutes? And they would come down and we would have a five minute meeting. And so I honestly just felt not in an arrogant way, but like everyone has a right to try to meet anyone. I think the big problem is that people aren't very good at cold emails and people don't put the work in. Um, I think the other thing I would say is like, visions are very dangerous. We're always told about the importance of a vision. If I had a vision, I would have stopped when I became an associate at a venture fund. Sure. Well, that can limit actually your ability. Don't often be so guarded by a vision because you are so much more capable than you think. And only you can tell yourself you're not good enough. And so don't put an artificial ceiling on your own potential, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. A lot of people perhaps will watch a podcast and they'll think about starting one, but they won't actually go there and, and make the first episode. You know, they'll, they'll think about having these big guests on, but they'll never actually do the email introduction. And, it, you know, they're, they're scared of getting a no or just getting, uh, you know, a non-response, right? Um, but, you know, enough of those messages with enough consistency and enough quality, you know, going back to what you're saying about making sure the cold email is, you know, is strong, then that that will land you some results. Even if those numbers are small, you know, you only need a, need a couple of people to say yes for you to it become easier to get the next one, if, if that makes sense. You need to face rejection every single day. Every single day, you need to choose suffering. So when suffering chooses you, you are ready. And actually, cold emails are a good way to consistently get slapped in the face with silence. And actually, it's important for you. You know, I, I don't have children, but I would say it's character building. Um, and so I think that's really important. And you will face really, really hard shit times. I've faced it with the shows. And actually, it's how you respond to those hardship times, which determines it. I think the big problem people make with content as well is they face hardship times and no one listens mm. and they just stop. This is a game of who can survive the longest. You know, I've been doing this for eight years, Alfie. I've done 3000 shows like one ability compounds. I was shit when I first started. You heard that show. I was terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 I was. Yeah, you're agreeing. Exactly. I was bad. <laughs> But ability compounds, and actually, it's often just a game of who's there when the lights go out at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I'm only like 120, 30 episodes in or something at, at this point. So I've got a long way to go to get to that 3,000 number, mate. But um, part of that intimidates me because you you were born 57 days before me. 
Okay. So I, I definitely feel like I've got some catching up to do. Um, I think you, you very humble. So I don't know if you necessarily agree to this, but I think objectively speaking, Harry, you, you've achieved more than like a hundred times more than most people in their twenties. Okay. So I, I, I guess for the young people watching this, and I, I am in many ways asking this question a little bit selfishly, but what, what, what advice would you give to people that are not looking to, you know, grow their career by getting a promotion, then a promotion, then a promotion, and then 30 years later, they're, they're, you know, they're at the top, you know, what, what advice would you give to people that are trying to kind of reach the top of their fields, um, you know, very quickly as, as someone like you has done? Yeah, number one, row your own race. Too many people get too focused on everything around them. The only thing that matters is you and you moving towards your goals. And so be very, very focused around, am I doing what I set out to do? If yes, continue. If no, then reevaluate. But everyone is looking around and going, oh, they're doing this, they're doing that. I'm so much better than them and I'm worse than them. Don't, focus on your own race. Number two, work-life balance is the biggest myth that's been invented uh in the last few years it's a delusion if you want to be truly brilliant and truly brilliant at what you do and i'm not saying i am by any means i'm flawed in so many ways but if you want to be the best you want to be the one that everyone goes wow they are really great you are gonna have to be unbalanced and people don't like to hear that but it's true and people don't like to hear that because it makes them feel uncomfortable when you hear someone is as unbalanced as like the great people are it makes the mediocre people feel insufficient and that's why they ask you the question do you not get tired do you not worry about burnout it's because they feel insufficient and so you have to sacrifice pretty much everything you know i i as i said this is not on me like, i have so many flaws but you know every weekend i work every weekend studio for 12 hours a day and that is what it takes. You have to be the one working when others aren't if you want to be living like others can't. Yeah, no, I'd 100% agree, mate. I, I've got so many things that I'm juggling at the moment, whether it's my, my, my startups or my, you know, family, wife, my six-month-old baby, um, you know, going to, to the gym. You've got to try and kind of do all these different things at the same time to, to keep them going. And I, I find that when you try to balance them and, and try to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, it all crumbles. It all doesn't work. I, I find the only solution to the problem is just massive action in every single area that's important uh, because you're not, you're not going to hit that, right? You're going you're gonna to go there. But if you set the target as this, for those listening on audio, I'm putting my hand in the air right now and trying to show a really, really high leap we'd reach to. But, you know, if you if you aim for this, you'll get this right. But if you aim for this, you'll get this. So, you know, really, really challenging yourself and pushing yourself to do so is something that I, I think I'd echo to your earlier point. I, and... I actually I actually have a quadrant on a whiteboard okay. um, and I have work. I have family. I have girlfriend and I have fitness. Yeah. And I look at it like a credit card. You can be in the red or you can be in the black. Yeah. And I will monitor myself on a daily basis as to where I am. Am I in debt on my family time where I haven't spent enough time with my mom? Okay, that helps me correct that. I'm going to ping her and say, hey, let's do dinner on Saturday because I haven't seen you in a long time. Am I in the black on fitness? And I am crushing it. And actually, I'm in a place where I don't need to be running the 12Ks and the 10K tomorrow might work if it means that I can also have a coffee with my girlfriend. It, the quadrant allows me to, in real time, analyze the most important aspects of my life and stack up. Where am I in debt? Where am I in the black? So speaking of the most important areas of your life, you, you recently tweeted about your decision to stop drinking. Yeah. Okay. Why, why, why 
is this where we find out that Harry was like a raging alcoholic or what 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 happened here and and why why the change in the transition? Yeah, I think that life is very short and there are a lot of things that I want to do and I have very very high ambitions and high expectations of myself and I basically sat down and I thought if alcohol takes out 15 to 20 percent of my productivity a year which i think more people should admit it, it probably does it probably does um then and and also you know i was bulimic when i was younger i'm very open about male eating disorders it's a very i don't think we talk about it enough it contributed to a lot of thought just throughout the day in terms of calories and how i felt in my body and so i thought it's probably 15 to 20 percent of productivity and it's probably 10 percent of concern in my mind um around weight and weight management if i compound that over the next 24 years which would take me to 50 or you know 51 now that 20% compounded over 24 years is enormous. And actually, that is by far the difference between truly great and actually just good. And I am more willing to get, like, I am the hungriest <laughs> mofo alive. Like, nothing will stop the hunger. I'm willing to do anything to do, like, achieve what I want to do by the time I'm 50. So that stopping was the easiest decision ever. Um, well, I think people actually misunderstand. You have to change your life. It's like I lost a lot of weight. I was very fat. And people don't like the diet and then you go back to life. No, no, you have to wholeheartedly change your life. You have different friends. You get joy out of different places. You have different hobbies. You change as a person. And that's why I also really, really find partnerships hard within companies, funds, you name it, because people change. And they change so much to the extent that sometimes a partnership is no longer possible if actually it is too divergent. And that's yeah. no one's fault, but you can't like, put a limit around how much you'll change or even predict it. And so I think that's something that not enough people consider. It reminds me of an old Jim's Jim Rohn's quote. I think I'll, I'll butcher it, but it's, it goes something like, you know, if you want things to change, then you've got to change. If you want life to get better, then you've got to get better. You know, and uh, I think that's the part that people tend to forget. You know, they, they're great at writing down the goals. They're great at doing the vision board. But when it comes to actually, you know, putting in the action, you know, and executing on that plan and that vision, then that's where it gets challenging. It's, yeah. it's like the old thing with, with ideas. Everyone's like, oh, I'm in stealth mode. I'm in stealth, you know, I want, I want someone to steal my idea. Look, I, ideas are everywhere, mate. Like you can go on Google or GPT and type in trillion dollar business ideas and it will give you like a hundred of them. Like everyone knows what, what, what you know, you need to, to do the basics there you know you want to get fit you need to eat vegetables go to the gym stop all the shit you know but if you want to do the same in business it's um it's not about trying to find like a, a diamond idea it's about trying to find something which it's there it exists and executing on it better than anybody else and I think that's something that you've been able to do really well with your podcast Harry because you you literally went from doing this in like your your kitchen or your bedroom or wherever it was to then being in like 10 Downing Street a few weeks ago sitting in front of the of the prime minister like what what was that like you know sitting there and, and being in the room and seeing Mr Sunak or what was that experience like I think it's an incredible honor you know I am a proud Brit and going to the home of your national leader and you know having the chance to sit down with them and ask the questions that I wanted to ask was an incredible honor um, I was very proud of you know the team in terms of what we've built. I think people often give me a lot of credit. Sure. They do a lot of the work. Um, and I was very proud to take, you know, our videographer there, my COO there, and for them to send home pictures of 
them at Downing Street. I think and not enough leaders also think about bringing their families along with them. And what I mean by that is like, if you give people moments like that, it makes their families incredibly proud, but also kind of part of it. They share that moment with them. And it creates a real loyalty and camaraderie in a team that I think not enough people actually really strategically think about. This podcast is brought to you by weloveAlpha.com. If you're looking to grow and hire and scale your software engineering team in the UK, then go to weloveAlpha.com to hire the best software developers on the market. Everything across Java to C Sharp to PHP to Python to React and Angular and mobile and more. Go to weloveAlpha.com to hire the best software engineers in the UK now. You've been able to to do this really well with, with, with the, the podcast in terms of, you know, speaking with some of the most successful and influential people in the world. And that's really allowed you to tap into their networks and, you know, their capital and, you know, um, their their mindset really to build out the fund. And you've invested in like some some top companies, right? If I say businesses like Linktree or, or Be Real or, or Hopin or, you know, Triple Dot, I've done some work with in the past, you know, you have, have invested in like, companies that have that have become almost household names at, at this point for, for, for the fund um so how how do you decide like which companies that you want to invest in versus which ones to, to pass on is is there like because because the industries there are a little bit different I mean tech seems to be a theme but is it about the founder is it about the vision is it about the the sector is it about all of the above is it about what's on Harry's mind today in terms of where the world's going what, what what's important to you in picking projects to to back yeah, I'm going to give you a couple of different analogies, which I think will be helpful. Like, number one, I am not smart enough to predict markets. So anyone that thinks that they can predict a market and a market timing is incredibly confident. And I hope that they're right, but they most likely are not. Most um, they're wrong, aren't they? I mean, Most of the time they're wrong. I, I like the analogy of a surfer. And the truth is, if you want to go surfing and you're a great surfer, that's not enough. You've got to go to the right beach to get the right waves. And if you have that, that's still not enough. You've got to go at the right time. You've got to go at 11 a.m. when the sun's out and the wind's blowing. If you go in the middle of the night, you're not going surfing. If you go when the tide's up and it's dangerous, you're not surfing. So you need the right surfer on the right beach at the right time. And actually, if you have one off there that's severely off, it can materially impact the company's success. You can have an amazing founder operating in an amazing market and then COVID hits. There is nothing that the founder can do, no matter how good they are. I've had amazing companies in amazing markets and then a political regime hits that means that they cannot operate in the same way uh, or national crisis happens. It means they can't operate in the same way. So I need those three things. And then I would say when you're speaking to a founder, I, I'd give this analogy to my mother. There's two types of cooks, Alfie. And you say, I'm making spaghetti bolognese. And they say, how are you doing it? And you say, I'm going to Tesco and I'm buying the bolognese sauce and I'm buying the spaghetti. And you go, okay. And then the other person goes, ah, I'm going to Spitalfields Market because they've got the most amazing tomatoes. And then actually, I've been marinating this beef that I'm going to mince up. Um, and actually, it's the shoulder of the lamb. So it'll be much more succulent. And then I'm actually going to use this specific type of flour for the pasta, which I'm making now. They're very different types of chefs. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. And so I will ask, talk to me about how you think about hiring people. What is that process? 
what do you do strategically to build culture in the early days? What works? What doesn't? How do you think about early customer feedback and testing? Which questions do you listen to and which do you not from customers? Do you always take their feedback? It's in the how they do it, not the what they do, that really determines the quality. And so I really focus on those two things. And I think a final thing is like, is it big enough? Like life is short. I don't want to spend my life and I don't want founders to necessarily spend their lives bluntly on e-commerce cart abandonment. I want to, like we have the most pressing fucking problems ever from education to housing, to defense, to climate change. I don't want e-commerce cart abandonment as the problem that we're using our brains to solve right now. And so I think is the problem really, really big enough? Okay. So big problems, big visionary leaders behind them and people who you can interrogate with, with great questions and, and get articulate solid answers, which show that they're thinking about the problem in a different way, rather than just following a set of ingredients to make spaghetti. Exactly. Okay. I, I love your Spitalfield market reference there. Great, great place. Shout out to, to, to those guys. And the surfing analogy is very true. I'm, I'm not a great surfer, but I lived in New Zealand for three years and um, did a lot of surfing out there. And um, I can tell you, it is definitely not just about the the, the beach or the wave <laughs> or the board or the skills. It's a combination of all of them. So um, I can't remember who said this. I think it was Buffett, but he said, you know, a very similar analogy. You know, when you're investing, you don't need to swing for everything. You can sit there and wait for the balls to come, wait for the balls to come. And you only have to hit a home run, you know, once or twice. And then, you know, when you've got those unicorns and everything's uh, else well, falls. It's, it's, it's the thing that many people struggle with being an investor, which is you have to be very comfortable doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, or, or passing, analyzing and passing is, is perhaps how I would say it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But that is very, very challenging, actually being comfortable, not doing anything for a certain amount of time and keeping a bar very high. It's why I feel very lucky to run a media company. So I don't feel like I'm doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, what you do is a combination really between media, between investing and and technology as well, because so much of what media is now is, is, is just digital tech, you know, in, in a layer. So on the topic of tech, you've done so many interviews recently with AI experts and, and leaders in artificial intelligence. And so have I, we've had some, some similar guests in, in, in that respect, but now that you've learned from the best and the brightest minds in this, in this world over the past couple of weeks, and you've, you've distilled all this knowledge down, what are Harry Sebbing's general thoughts on, on AI, on artificial intelligence? How, how will it change the world? How will it transform commerce and, and industries? Where do you think this, this is going in the next couple of years? It's a very good question. I think there's one very important thing to realize is that there is a fundamental misalignment right now between the speed of development and the speed of adoption. Mm. Uh, development is incredibly fast. It is insane to see what is being put out at the speed it is. But the speed of adoption is not nearly as fast. And what I mean by that is it will take a considerable amount of time for the large enterprises in the world to adopt a lot of the technology that is being built out now. Data security is a massive problem. Permissioning is a massive problem. Uh, There are so many enterprise requirements that make it difficult to adopt what is being built today, which will be, but it will take time. It always takes longer. Again, there are some commonly held tropes which people forget. (laughs) You know, 
buy buy low sell high is one of them that sounds ridiculous but it's true uh here it always takes longer than people think and on the adoption side it will do the same here it will fundamentally reshape many industries it is the platform shift that we've been waiting for 100 percent um I think it actually favors incumbents a lot more than it favors startups. There's a brilliant quote from Alex Rampell at Andreessen, which says, will the incumbent acquire innovation before the startup acquires distribution? That is the game of startups. Will the incumbent acquire innovation before the startup acquires distribution? And we always chastise incumbents for their slow speed, for how lethargic they are. Not now. Google have been fucking fast with Bard. Adobe have killed it with many of their integrations of AI into the existing product suite, Firefly. Um, they are moving at breakneck speed. And I think they will actually accrue most of the value and the benefits. And I think 85% of the companies in the AI space raising today will actually turn out to be nothing slash very valueless features. Mm. Um and I think not enough people are actually thinking that through. The prices are crazy. It's a capital demand and supply challenge as always. Um, but I'm very, very excited for it. The thing I'm not excited for and I think is a concern is the speed of transition. When you look at the industrial age and then you look at the PC age, you know, entering enterprises, these were decade plus long transitions. This is year long, two year yeah. long, three year long. There will be many, many people who are displaced and we need to think about them while we're all salivating on the enterprise value that we're creating for ourselves. Yes. Like, income inequality is probably going to be one of the most pressing problems that we face over the next few years. And in the early days of any new technology, it gets worse. And so I think we just need to be very mindful about that. And AI will do that. It's incredibly exciting. I'm very excited to invest against it. And I'm not being negative, but I just think that we all need to be aware of that because I don't think enough people bring a human voice to that. Yeah. But Bard is a great example because um, I stopped using GPT and now I'm I'm all in on Bard just because it's so it's connected instantly to, to the web and it's you know it's already built into in, into Google essentially I know it's more of a, an experiment at this point but it was so interesting to see when they released it um, billions of dollars were wiped off the Google and the Alphabet um, stock price because of a mistake that was made on an advert initially and then within a couple of weeks they had fixed it to the point where it was you know on a, on an equal playing field to, to GPT so the the I, I I do agree that the large enterprises, even though they, they, they lack speed, when it comes to AI, this is almost um, a a life and death moment for a lot of big businesses who who could see, oh my God, something could be could be created which could completely you know <laughs> remove our business model. We need to get on top of this, and we've seen people like founders of, of Alphabet, you know, coming back to, to to the business to try and spearhead these campaigns and initiatives. So it, it is such an exciting time to to, to be focused on that space. Um, you you've interviewed a lot of guests on on your show, right? You you said you've done three thousand episodes. Um, obviously, some repeat people, but I'm I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, mate, and I'm going to. I'm going to um, make it so one person out there really loves you right now and everybody else is, is going to be vying for, for, for the attention. But who's who's number one? Who's your favorite 20, C, 20 VC guest of all time? If you had to you know, pick one person to speak to again, who, who is that person going to be? Scooter Braun, uh, Justin Bieber's former yeah, manager, yeah, Ariana Grande's, uh, Kid Leroy's. Um, why? Because at the end of the day, I love humans. 
I think everyone is special in their own way. I'm very kind of soppy and romantic about it, but I think everyone is interesting. The hard thing is not many people are willing to show a part of themselves and their personality and their struggles because it's scary and it is scary. But when you are willing to say, hey, I was bulimic, I was not that smart at school and I am the hungriest motherfucker alive, that's when you get a lot of strength. And I think in that show, there was both of us really opening up a side of ourselves that we didn't do before. And that really gave me energy in a way that very few do, to be quite honest. I have watched the episode. It was more of a conversation. You were speaking, I don't know what percentage of the time, but it was a little bit different to some episodes. I I, I do agree in that, you know, it was more of like an interview between the two of you, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, he was very good at turning the tables. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, mate, for coming on. It was great to get your perspectives into everything from, from AI to the growth of the podcast to the, to the humble beginnings and, and everything in between. I don't think you need much of a, a, a plug at this point, mate, but if people, for the rare people living under a rock that haven't watched your content, what what's like the number one place they need to go to get all the links and everything? I would go to 20VC on YouTube. Just search for 20VC. You'll find all of our videos, clips, shorts, everything in between. Love your thoughts. And so you can see more there. Hey, thanks for watching this podcast. Make sure that you like, subscribe, follow, comment, etc, etc. And I'll see you in the next episode.